Welcome to Wild Tater Podcast. I'm Charles Hathaway. Our website is wildtater.com, where you can see all of our past episodes. And uh, today we're going to talk about the Oregon grape, or Mahonia aquifolium. Also, uh, Mahonia ripens, which is the creeping Oregon grape. As far as I can tell, these two are identical in their uh, um, edibility and so forth. They've got a, a berry, you might call uh, an Oregon grape, um, that is the same on both plants. The difference between the two plants is one creeps along the ground, uh, kind of like kind of a ground cover, and the other grows more like a bush. Otherwise, they're the same plant. They're, they're really just varieties of the same plant. Uh, it's the way I see it, and I, I have both of them, and uh, that's the only difference I can find in them. But, uh, so let's talk about the uh, Oregon grape. It's also known as the holly-leaved barberry, the Oregon holly grape, or the Oregon holly. Now, it makes sense that this would be called a holly because you look at it and it looks like a holly plant, and the leaves are a little bit pokey, like a holly. And honestly, the moment you pull a berry off of it and offer it to somebody, they're likely to go, whoa, 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 I know very well, don't eat holly berries. And that would be wise of them not to eat holly berries. But these are not holly berries. These are Oregon grapes. Totally different species. Totally different family, if I'm not mistaken. This is from the Berberidaceae family, the barberry family, which is you know, the barberry itself is one that you can find at Walmart and other, you know, easy-to-locate nurseries as a hedge, okay? But uh, this particular plant, the Oregon grape, is more often found, at least where I am in central Utah, in the mountains. And it's a very shade-tolerant plant compared to many others. So when you go into the deep forest, what you'll find is these big just, you know, gargantuan trees that are just covering every ounce of sun um, up 50 to, you know, 150 feet high, just massive trees. And then down on the ground, all you've got is pine needle, bark, uh, and, you know, leaf debris broken up for inches above the ground, above the dirt, you could say. You'd have to dig down a bit in order to find dirt. You've got some fine soil, lots of humus, or um, breaking down carbon material and so forth. But then you've got a few strands of grass and Oregon grape. And that's like one of the big things that you find up there. And I was not aware until recently about its edible properties, uh, the edible properties of its berry. Okay, so I'm going to refer you right now because this site is invaluable to me. It's my new favorite website. It is pfaf.org, which stands for Plants for a Future, pfaf.org. And this uh, website is just absolutely awesome for seeing the usefulness of plants, the idea being plants for a future, you know, our our planet is, is struggling right now, and if we want to have a future, 
it's going to take plants and it's going to take a lot of them and a lot more that even than even the most most um uh ecologically liberal <laughs> uh statements that have been made are suggesting my personal feeling about it is that everybody is going to need a jungle in their yard of some sort or other eventually I think that's just going to be standard procedure. Whereas people have lawns right now, someday people are going to have a forest. And and they'll be considered, you know, a public nuisance if they're just lining it with all rocks or something. It, that's totally my opinion. I have no idea. But uh, I think that's probably where we're going. Just based on the research that we're finding, the more plants we grow, the better. And the more useful plants that we have the more we are able to meet our own needs as a society. I'm not going to get more into that. Let's talk about the Oregon grape. So the Oregon grape is great for any kind of yard where you are wanting to grow trees and so forth because you can grow it under the trees. And these little grapes, as, as we might refer to them, are not really grapes at all. They don't taste sweet. In fact, they're... My wife says they taste bitter. To me, they just taste sour. Imagine something that's sour but not sweet at all. And so I, the closest thing I could think of to compare it to in flavor was rhubarb. So imagine a berry that tastes kind of like rhubarb. It's something like that. Now, of course, you're not likely to want to, you know, gobble this by the bowl full, but for a good reason that we're going to read in a moment. I wouldn't recommend it anyway. However, I do think that it would be fantastic eaten with, you know, you've got uh, an organ grape and a raspberry in your hand and eat them together. Oh, that just sounds fantastic to me. Kind of like the strawberry rhubarb effect. So let's read what PFAF.org has to say about Mahonia aquifolium and Mahonia repens. I'm just going to read the aquifolium page because um, from last I checked, as far as I know, they are the same um, the same things being said about it. And my internet's being slow for loading up the uh, Repens page. It's not because the page is slow. They're actually very fast loading pages, but I've got something uploading at the moment and my internet is extremely slow. So here we go. Mahonia aquifolium also known as Oregon Grape, Holly-Leaved Barberry, Oregon Holly Grape, Oregon Holly, in the Burbidaceae family. It uh, is hardy to zones 4 through 8. And the known hazards that it has, um, Barberry, Golden Seal, Oregon Grape, and other plants containing berberine should be avoided during pregnancy and breastfeeding. Okay, if you are breastfeeding or you are pregnant, I suggest not eating of it. And I, I could be wrong, you know, so don't, don't uh, take this as gospel truth, but I think the problems that it's discussing in this known hazards is from drinking a tea of the leaves, not from eating the fruit. I could be wrong about that, so don't, don't take my word for it. Um, I suspect the fruit is just fine for anybody, anytime. But um, just to be sure, you know, if you're, if you're breastfeeding or pregnant, best just avoid it altogether. Again, you wouldn't make a tea of 
of tomato leaves either. So, you know, that, that would be poisonous. But having a tea of tomatoes is going to be fine for anybody. Anyway, so you'll want to avoid this plant if you have an overactive thyroid gland. And high doses of it can cause vomiting, lowered blood pressure, reduced heart rate, lethargy, nosebleed, and skin irritation, and, and kidney infection. All of these very bad things. Okay, but there is a counter uh, plant, uh, plant that will counter the, these berberine effects, which is licorice. Uh, uh, specifically what it says is licorice as glyceriza species nullify berberine effects. Okay. And again, I think that's about eating the leaves. I don't recommend eating the leaves. Just focus on the fruit. But um, the habitats include mixed coniferous foods in 2,000 to 2,000 meters high, which would be uh, what would that be, like 8,000 feet or something like that? It's found in woods and hedgerows in Britain, also in Western North America, and it's been naturalized in Britain. It receives on the PFAF website, out of five, an edibility rating of three, and other uses rating of three, medicinal rating of three, which is great. Honestly, on this site, from what I've seen, if something is a three, you're good to use it, and it'll probably do you good. Um, if you, you know, th there's not many things that even get a five. So anyway, let me read you the uh, summary as given on pfaf.org. Mahonia aquifolium is a great plant for shade and works well in woodland gardens. The fruit is almost as large as a black currant and is produced in large bunches, so it's easy to harvest. It has medicinal and other uses. Cultivars have Royal Horticultural Society's Award of Garden Merit. For example, the uh, Mahonia Wegneri Pinnacle, uh, Mahonia Aquifolium plus Pinata, Pinata, and Apollo. Bloom color, yellow. Main bloom time, early spring to mid-spring. Evergreen, upright, and spreading. Pinately compounded, compound leaves with 5 to 11 shiny green, holly-like leaflets. Leathery, oblong leaflets, flat to strong, strongly wavy, with sh sharp, spine-tipped teeth. Yellow flowers in dense racemes at br branch tips. Sour, dark, bluish berries cover with white film, covered with white film. Form is, is upright or erect. And I'm going to just say the, the bluish berries covered in white film. It's about like like blueberry color. Um, maybe a little bit closer to purple, but, uh, but you know, smaller, more like a, uh, like it said, a, a current. Okay, physical characteristics. Mahonia aquifolium is an evergreen shrub growing to 2 meters, or 6 feet, by 1.5 meters, 5 feet, at a fast rate. It is hardly, or is hardy to zone 5. It is in leaf all year, in flower from January to May, and the seeds ripen from August to September. The species is hermaphrodite. 
It has both male and female organs and is pollinated by insects. The plant is self-fertile. It's suitable for light sandy, medium loamy, or heavy clay soils and can grow in heavy clay soil. Suitable pH, acid, neutral, and basic alkaline soils. It can grow in full shade, deep woodland, semi-shade, light woodland, or no shade. It prefers dry or moist soil. I love how it uh, says dry or moist soil. That's what it prefers. <laughs> Synonyms. It's also known as Berberus aquifolium, Berberus fasc fascicularis, or Odistemon aquifolium. Habitats. Woodland guardy sunny edge, dappled shade, shady edge, not deep shade, ground cover, hedge. I think it's funny that it has uh, contradicting things. It'll say sh shade, and then it'll say, you know, it'll say deep shade, and then later it'll say not deep shade. I think the reason for that is that um, the Plants for a Future website gets their information from multiple sources. So if one book states that it does well in shade and another one says it does it, that it doesn't do well in shade, they'll just include both information here. And uh, that's really nice because then we're hearing multiple sides to the story. In fact, if you come to the page that they have for that for a particular plant, you'll see uh, links to well, they're, they're not links, but uh, references to books and so forth, which you can click on it, on the reference material at the base of the page, and it will point you to, you know, the, the references page. You look up that number, and it'll show you the book where it says it. And you can easily look that up and find out where that information came from. Okay. Edible uses, my favorite part. Edible parts flowers, and fruit. Edible uses, drink. So here's how that breaks down. The fruit is eaten raw or cooked. The fruit is almost as large as a black currant and is produced in large bunches, so it is easy to harvest. It has an acid flavor, but is rather nice raw, and is especially good when added to a porridge or muesli. That sounds really good, actually. Unfortunately, there is relatively little, little flesh and a lot of seeds, though some plants have liquor and uh, have larger and juicier fruits. Let me give a, a little disclaimer here. I've eaten several of the fruits and I haven't found much seeds. There might have been one or two little specks in the fruits that I've eaten. So either I got some that didn't have seeds in them, or I'm not sure what they're talking about, having a lot of seed and relatively little flesh. That's not been my experience. Okay, continuing on. The cooked fruit tastes somewhat like blackcurrant. The fruits can be dried and stored for later. That's kind of fun. If you've ever had currants, from the store dried currants they're like miniature raisins that makes me think you can make raisins out of these and honestly i think they would probably be even tastier than raisins because of their sourness imagine raisins but sour that would be 
kind of cool. Certainly something that could be good, like it said, in a cereal or porridge or something. Okay, um, the flowers can be eaten raw. They can also be used to make a lemonade-like drink. All right. Now, for medicinal uses, it's important to note that the Plants for a Future website, as well as wildtater.com, uh, cannot be held responsible or take any responsibility for any adverse effects from the use of plants. Always seek advice from a professional before using a plant medicinally, especially using it medicinally because, you know, often you're trying to treat something that really needs a doctor's visit and you may be avoiding going to the doctor because this website says that, you know, uh, that this plant will take care of it. So, you know, just take that for what it is. Whenever you try new plants, and I'll probably say this over and over again, start by eating one or two one day and then one or two berries one day and give it some time to you know, react with your body in case you are allergic. Because if you are allergic, you want to find that out after taking one or two rather than taking a handful. Okay. Anyway, so about the medicinal uses. Oregon grape was often used by several Native American Indians, North American Native uh, Indian tribes, to treat loss of appetite and debility. It is current its current herbal use is mainly in the treatment of gastritis and general digestive weakness to stimulate the kidney and gallbladder functions and reduce catarrhal problems. The fruit and root bark is alternative, blood tonic, caligog, caligog, diuretic, laxative, and tonic. It improves the di digestion and absorption and is taken internally in the treatment of psoriasis, psoriasis, syphilis, hemorrhages, uh, stomach complaints, and impure blood conditions. Externally, it has been used as a gargle for sore throats and as a wash for blurry or bloodshot eyes. The roots are harvested in late, late autumn or early spring and dried for later use. The fruit is an excellent, gentle, and safe laxative. Berberine, universally present in rhizomes of Mahonia species, like this, has marked, has marked uh, antibacterial effects and, it, and is used as a bitter tonic. Since it is not appreciably absorbed by the body, it is used orally in the treatment of various uh, enteric infections, especially bacterial dysentery. It should not be used with glycerial, or glyceriza, glycoriza species, which is licorice, because this nullifies the effects of the berberine. Berberine has also shown anti-tumor activity. The root and root bark are best harvested in the autumn. So that's kind of interesting. Using licorice plant with it, they annihilate each other. Basically, they well, or at least the uh, the licorice will annihilate the effects of it for better or worse. If you're want, if you took too much, then that would probably be a good way to go. If you're trying to get the health benefits of it, then don't take licorice at the same time. Okay, other uses. 
A yellow dye is obtained from the inner bark of the stem and roots. It is green, according to another report. Dark green, violet, and dark blue purple dyes are obtained from the fruit. A green dye is obtained from the leaves. The, this species can be grown as a low hedge and does not need trimming. Because of its suckering habit, it also makes a good dense ground cover plant, though it can be slowed, or though it can, can be slow to become established. That's good to know. You know, any of these plants that extend out and become, um, you know, propagate themselves without help of a human being can be very good ecological uh, restoration plants, especially when they have uses to humans such as this. Okay. And I wanted to reemphasize one more time before going on to the next section that that medicinal section where it talked about using roots and bark and things like that of the plant are probably the source of potential dangers with this plant. I don't think the fruit is as much a problem unless maybe you're having it, you know, underripe or something. Not sure. Anyway, cultivation details, landscape uses, border, foundation, pest tolerant, massing, specimen, woodland garden, a very easy plant to grow, thriving in any good garden soil and tolerating dense shade under trees. It grows well in heavy clay soils and also succeeds in dry soils if it is given a good mulch annually. It dislikes expo exposure to strong winds. Plants are hardy to about negative 20 Celsius. Very tolerant of pruning. Plants can be cut back into old wood if they grow too large or straggly. Spring is the best time to do this. Suckers are, freely, are fairly freely produced with establishment plants forming dense thickets. Most plants grown under this name are casual hybrids with Mahonia repens, which is the other one that's just like it, but uh, not, you know, I'm specifically reading the bush version, but uh, everything but the uh, size difference should apply the same to both. This species is also, or is easily confused with Mahonia pinata, which also, which it also hybridizes. The flowers are delicately scented. A number of names formed, or of named forms, have been developed for their ornamental value. This species is notably resistant to honey fungus. This plant is a state flower of Oregon, hence it being called Oregon grape, or vice versa. Special features, North American native, has fragrant flowers and attractive flowers or blooms. Okay, propagation, to make more of this plant, basically. Seed, best sown as soon as it is ripe in a cold frame. It usually germinates in the spring. Green seeds harvested when the embryo has fully developed, but before the seed case has dried, should be sown as soon as it is harvested and germinates within six weeks. Stored seeds should be sown out, let's see, should be sown as soon as possible in late winter or spring. Three-week cold stratification will improve its germination, which should take place in three to six months at 10 degrees Celsius. 
prick out the seedlings when they are large enough to handle and grow them on or in a cold frame for their for at least their first winter. Plant them out in late spring or early summer. Division of suckers in spring, whilst they can be placed directly in their permanent positions, better results are achieved if they are potted up and placed in a frame until, esta- until established. Leaf cuttings in the autumn. I find it funny that they say, you know, keep it in a pot until it's established. I've always considered establishment being not the point at which it looks like it's going to make it or have a chance, but rather the point at which it looks like it's going to make it even if I do nothing for it ever again. You know, so you stick a pot in the ground and the plant dies, it did not have a chance to get established. It probably couldn't get water fast enough or soon enough and, and so forth. But if it gets to the point where the roots are deep and stretched out, and it's uh, finding its own water sources such that you don't need to water it and so forth. I consider that establishment. Anyway, okay. So um, that's pretty much it um, for this plant. I highly recommend it. And, it. and it's one that because it's a little bit pokey, not, not brutally pokey, it could also be used to help along a fence or something where you may be worried about deer getting through or getting over, something like that. Um, except that, you know, the the short version of it, the Mahonia repens would stay along the ground. But maybe you want to use that to be able to feed um, animals that, uh, that are outside the fence. If you put it along the fence on the inside, it will probably extend suckers out underneath and extend your garden out to take care of animals outside of the garden as well. Just a thought. But I highly recommend this plant, especially if you are, like it requires, in zones four through eight. And with that, thank you so much again for listening.